When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Reality Radio for a really great future. We're talking real money. If it's Friday, I must be answering your questions. And that's exactly what it is. It's Friday. It's Q&A day here on Talking Real Money. I'm Don McDonald. Thank you for listening. And thank you for all the fascinating questions. There are fascinating questions this week. Got some really good ones. And thank you so much for sending them in. And remember, you can send questions to us anytime. And we'll answer them on future podcasts. You can send them in at TalkingRealMoney.com. You can speak them and record them in very high fidelity compared to the telephone at TalkingRealMoney.com. Or you can call them in the old-fashioned way and leave a message at the tone at 855-935-TALK. 855-935-8255. And wow, we have a lot of questions. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to get started. And, and and this one's probably my favorite of the day. Hi, Tom, but most likely Don. I had Friendsgiving this past week, and boy, did I not hear the end of why you should be all in on crypto. <sighs> I politely nodded and told them that there's no such thing as free lunch. My friend dropped this nugget on me, Gemini Earn. Gemini like the horoscope. So they give you about 8.05% APY. I checked out their website and I am really confused. How are they able to do something like this, like provide this interest rate uh, on money that you're putting into crypto? I don't understand it, but my friends are all in on it. They're buying Bitcoin, stablecoin, and trying to convince all their friends to get in on Gemini Earn. My friends are dumping about 50% of their entire life savings into this portfolio. So while I can politely nod from the sideline, I also don't want to see disaster happen. So help me understand this so that I can help them not risk their life savings. Thank you. Looking forward to hearing the podcast. Your friends are crazy. <laughs> they are. They're nuts. They don't know what they're getting themselves into. They have no clue. They don't understand what cryptocurrencies really are first. They don't. Second, I bet you they have no idea how Gemini Earn pays the kind of rates that it pays. And by the way, they only pay that 8% rate on a couple of cryptocurrencies. They don't pay it on all of them. With uh, Gemini, let's see, which ones? I, I was looking at the list not too long ago. You can, on the Gemini dollar, their own Bitcoin, of course. Their, their, I'm not Bitcoin, their own crypto. That's it. You can earn, actually, it's about 7.4, I think. Um, but on Bitcoin, you just earn a percent or two or three. And the risks 
No, let's see. Bitcoin. I'm going to double check. Bitcoin Cash is four. Ether is two. Yeah. Um, but there's there are potential problems galore. I guarantee you they don't understand the risk because the risk is incalculable. Because we're dealing with a volatile security in an account that has no safeguards whatsoever, no regulation, no government control. It is literally the wild west of money. You don't know what the risks are. Although, Gemini on their website says, get this, big bold type, which no one read, I bet, because it's not there in the front. The risk of loss associated with our loan transactions up to and including total loss of your available digital assets. These are not secured loans that they make. See, what you're getting is you're getting a piece of secured loans that they make on cryptocurrencies deposited with them. But in this case, they're not even secured. There are some others that where they, they, they actually can take the crypto if they don't pay off the loan. Which you know, so you could take nothing to pay back a loan on nothing, and you don't know what that—that's part of the problem. You don't know what the the crypto is going to be worth at some point in the future. Um, the risks are total, total, okay, total. Now I want you to compare that with the risks of stocks. The stock market has historically returned oh, 9 or 10% a year, depending on how you measure it. But the U.S. market, right around there. And the risk is measurable because over the last 100 years, we have seen the worst case scenario of a loss due to market forces. Uh, market fluctuations of about 50% of your portfolio. So the risk is you could temporarily lose 50% of your portfolio. I believe, and I, I have really good reasons for believing this, that the risk of owning a global portfolio of stocks, of losing the money permanently forever and ever, amen, is as close to zero as it can possibly be. I mean, it's like 0.000000001% that you'd lose everything because to lose everything, the economy has to collapse. However, with a Gemini earn account, you can lose 100% of your money and you can lose it permanently. And there's nobody anywhere who will bail you out, and there's nothing that can save you. So this is this is a faith-based investment. This is almost like religion for these people. And, it, and, and after talking to them, I bet you realize that. This is a religion. This is not logical investing. This is stupid, incredibly crowd-oriented, follow-the-leader, F-O-M-O, money playing. I don't even want to call it investing because it's not investing. You apparently are one of the only wise people in your group of friends. The other ones, they're, I don't know when this day will come, but I am about 99 point something percent confident that the vast majority of money put into crypto or crypto institutions of any kind will vanish. Oh, and by the way, just 
in case you're interested, <laughs> the the uh, the the Gemini urn, Gemini the company, was started by the Winklevi, the the guys who ended up not doing very well with Facebook. <laughs> anyway, so. Uh, thanks for your call. I was so glad to go off on that rant and and to spend a little time learning more about Gemini. And yeah, be careful. I mean, people people even have some of these uh, systems like BlockFi, BlockFi, which is a competitor. People have broken into those accounts. There's so many risks with crypto. They're just you can't you can't quantify them. Thanks for the question. Now we'll take another question that came in via TalkingRealMoney.com. Hey, guys, this is Cass from Mississippi, and I have an asset location question. I have uh, about $50,000 in taxable right now, VT. And uh, I also I have a TSP that's about six hundred thousand dollars, and uh, that's half traditional, half Roth. I plan to move that over to Vanguard at the time of my retirement. So uh, I've heard that you're supposed to spend taxable first, and then your IRA, and then Roth last. Well, um, I, I'm currently I'm, I just started a Roth with VT. And I was going to move my TSP over, but not till I turn 62. And I was going to put that mostly in VT, most, you know, like I said, half, half traditional, half Roth, but I was going to do, you know, mostly VT with that. So I'm trying to figure out like what I need to do between now and then so that, I mean, I, I kind of understand the order of how I'm supposed to spend in retirement, but. How do I make the contents of each of those, I guess if you call them buckets, whatever, um, how do I make the contents be what it needs to be beforehand? Because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to have VT like everywhere. So uh, how do I not spend VT? Um, you know, <laughs> and do I need to, uh, and how do I change that without market timing? Uh, so I'm a little confused um, over the order of things and how to get the contents right in the order of the way I'm supposed to spend this money. I hope some of this makes sense. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks for all you do. Well, hi, Cass. Good to have you back on the podcast. <laughs> we named it after you. Uh, get it? Okay. Um, <laughs> asset location. Cass, you're an overthinker. You're a thinker, but you're sometimes a bit of an overthinker. If all of your equity portfolio is in VT, great, that's fine. It's well diversified. You don't have to do much more than that. And it really doesn't matter much where it is sitting at any given time, because there will come a point where you're going to want to sell. You're going to need to sell some of that anyway. But here's how you get money out. You, 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 you've got the steps right. Start with your taxable, then go to your tax deferred, and then go to your tax free. However, the step that precedes that is using rebalanced rebalancing money. If you have 100% of your portfolio in VT, that's probably a mistake because you don't have something to help stabilize, to buoy the entire portfolio. So I'm assuming you have some other things, and those other things will be the place from which you will draw 
money. Those bond funds would be one of the first places. And then, but you're going to rebalance to keep your assets in balance. So you'll occasionally sell a little bit, but remember that's the purpose of a, an ETF like VT. You don't pay taxes much along the way, and you'll only pay them when you sell. And when you sell, well, when you sell anything, you're going to pay taxes on the capital gain, unless it's in a tax-free account. We want to let those go as long as possible. So don't don't cut off your nose to spite your tax face. You're going to pay taxes at times. Build the right total portfolio, total portfolio, stocks, bonds, small, large value growth, even a little real estate in, an, in a REIT ETF, and then take it first from your taxable account and first from the proceeds of rebalancing and then go downhill from there. Thanks for the call, Cass. We truly appreciate it. Our number is 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. And now we'll go to a phone call that was uh, called into that 855-935-TALK number. Hi, I have a question about annuities. I bought a prudential annuity about six or seven years ago for $100,000. It's a variable annuity, so there's some mutual funds underneath it. And they have now grown to $163,853. And the surrender charge period ended about a year ago. So I could cash it out for that amount, or I could get an extra 20000 by annuitizing it now at a 5% rate, and they would pay me 5% of $183,000 every year for the rest of my life. Or I could wait till April of 2023, and the annuitized value is guaranteed to be set to $212,000, and I'll get a 5% uh, payment based on that. My health is good. I am 70 years old, but I don't really have any um, any health problems at all. So I'm trying to decide which is the best thing to do. In the case of Social Security, I waited till I was 70 to start drawing the money, betting that I would live till about 83 or 84, and therefore come out ahead on the a delay in starting the payouts. Based on that, I wonder whether this is not the, uh, the the payout starting in April of 2023 is not the right choice here. Oh, another really good question. I love annuity questions. So let's look at this. Now, I don't know what kind of variable annuity you're in, but you got into it, let's say six years ago. We're going to go with six. You said six to seven. You put $100,000 in, and today it's worth about $154,000. That's the real number. Choose that. All these other numbers that the insurance company is throwing at you, these are play numbers. They're playing games with your head. They're, They're head games. Had you invested that same money in a no load index fund like the Vanguard Balanced Index Fund, you invested $10,000 exactly six years ago, 
you would have today about $192,000. So you already have more than the bonus that the insurance company is giving you. So remember, that bonus is just kind of fake money. They've taken so much of your money along the way that they can kind of afford to give some back to you. But the reality is they're not really giving it back to you because what they're doing is they're making it appear they're going to give you a big chunk of money because you're giving it all back to them. When you annuitize, you're giving them the money and it's theirs forever. So they're going to pay you, you said, 5%. That's $9,100, approximately $9,150 a year on that 183. I ran some numbers. Here's what's really interesting. You said you're 70. You need to live for sure until 90 years old to just get your principal back. They haven't paid you. They will not have paid you a cent in interest over a full two decades. They're just giving you your money back while they own it and are making a lot of money on your money. Make sense? However, I ran some numbers. If you took the $154,000 that they have right there, you have it right now, and you invested it at 4% 4% per year. You invested it relatively conservatively. That's a pretty conservative account. And you withdrew $9,150 a year. In 20 years, when you turn 90, you will still have $67,000 that is your money. And you've paid yourself $9,150 a year. So if you were to die at 90... With the annuity, you would have $0 left. You would have made $9,150 a year. If you just invested it relatively conservatively for 20 years, you died at 90, you would have gotten the same $9,150 a year, plus you would have had $68,000 to leave to your heirs. To run out of money at 4% per year, giving yourself 5% per year, you would have to live until almost 100. Actually, it's 99. 99. So that's where you start to get into trouble. Now, if you earn 5% per year, well, and you paid yourself 5%, then the money lasts forever. I mean, pretty much. It lasts until you're, uh, let's see, 110? Yeah. See, because we're paying ninety-one fifty a year, which is the amount they were paying on one eighty-four at one eighty-three. So we're paying you the the amount on the one eighty-three, but at one hundred and ten, you'd run out of money. Do you ever run the odds on living to one hundred and ten? <laughs> it's not very likely. This is the insurance company playing games with your money. They know. They know they're going to win. All you have to do is look at their offices to know they're right. They know they're going to win, and they'll win, and you'll lose, and you're not getting anything for nothing. Even waiting a while, you're not getting anything for nothing. You might as well make money on your money, pay less in fees and expenses, take a little bit of risk yourself, because I know why we go to insurance companies, because of the perception that the the investments are riskless. That is merely a perception. We have seen insurance companies fail, fail. So thank you. Appreciate your call. And we'll go back to another question that was sent in at TalkingRealMoney.com. 
Hi, gentlemen. I really enjoy your podcast and the fiduciary-based information that you're providing to us. I'm in the process of adjusting my portfolio for retirement and shifting to a more conservative 50% bond allocation. I've already reduced my equity allocation and now need to add the bond funds. Given the economic period that we're currently in, including low interest rate levels and the potential for increasing inflation, would you advise to just use a bond allocation like Paul Merriman recommends with something like 30% in intermediate term treasuries, 18% in short term treasuries, and 12% in short term inflation protected securities? Or would you advise your clients in this environment to be using either a different allocation to these funds or even different funds in this environment? I would be using Vanguard funds and, for example, VGIT, VGSH, and VTIP, respectively, for the funds I mentioned. I would greatly appreciate your advice on this subject and the associated justification. Thank you so much, and have a great day. Oh, this is the question again. This is the question. This is our big question. We get this question all the time. Tucked away inside this question really is the issue of interest rates and predicting the future. Well, we know rates are low, but they can't go any lower and they're going to go higher. And, you know, we don't know. We don't know what interest rates are going to do. We can feel all kinds of things. But the reality is for the past decade, multiple experts have felt incorrectly. So what we believe is you build a reasonably diversified portfolio and Paul's mix of, of fixed income is fine. We would not get that complex. We believe in in keeping it simpler for most people. And that means some sort of an intermediate term bond fund, maybe even the Vanguard total bond index ETF BND, because it's really well diversified and it, it's going to yield a little bit more. See, the thing about short to intermediate term bond funds is the fact that they, over time, as when rates do rise, as rates are rising, they're going to have bonds that are maturing all the time, and they'll they'll be buying new bonds at the new prevailing higher rates, so your rate of return will go up. It over time, it tends or it has tended in the past to kind of balance out. You don't suffer big losses with bond funds typically, not that last for very long. And typically, you don't even suffer big losses because of that stability, because of that the fact that things roll over. So I would not be too concerned about where you go. You just want to stick with high-quality, intermediate, short-to-intermediate-term bonds, and to use Paul's method is perfectly fine. It adds a level of complexity for future rebalancing purposes. So anyway, thanks so much for your question. We appreciate it. Call them in. And... Uh, we have yet another one that was sent in. Hey, Don and Tom, just want to ask you a quick question. Enjoying the podcast. I'm an also a Vestry customer, so I'm enjoying that as well. What's the difference between a mutual fund and a collective investment trust or a CIT? I see a lot of information out about those. Just wondering what you guys have to say about that. Thanks. <laughs> you know, it's funny when there's so much money laying around, People will go to great lengths to get their hands on it. Mutual funds versus CITs, Collective Investment Trusts. Hmm. Collective Investment Trusts are not mutual funds. They're not regulated like mutual funds. They're not SEC registered like mutual funds. They're under a whole separate set of rules because CITs were created by banks. 
by trust departments. And while they're regulated by ERISA, and the reason they're regulated by ERISA is because you and I don't use, can't use CITs. CITs are made for institutional clients. They're used in retirement plans and the like. Now, many of the proponents of CITs tout their low fees because they're working only with institutions. Well, that, to my mind, at least from the research I've done, is typical malarkey, typical financial malarkey. I found many CITs, many CITs that charge more than 1% per year. Now, if that's low fees, I don't know what they think is a high fee. They are their portfolios of securities, just like a mutual fund, but they're not mutual funds. And they claim they're cheap, but they're not cheap. And you really, they're reporting, the industry claims, well, our reporting is similar to mutual funds. Yeah, right. Again, it seems to me like this is another banking product, and I can't say Wall Street product, banking product, in search of a problem. It's a solution in search of a problem. We're we're, uh, big corporations clamoring for a new way to invest in their retirement plans for their employees? I, I don't think so. I mean, when you can get a mutual fund an institution can get into a uh, an index type mutual fund for essentially no cost. I mean, you know, three tenths, four tenths of a percent. Uh, I'm sorry, three one hundredths or four one hundredths of a percent per year. Why would you want to pay half or one? Uh, and I just haven't seen a bunch of really cheap CITs out there yet. Again, I think it's just a way for banks to make a bunch of money. But thanks for the great question. I appreciate it. Let's do another one that was called in to 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. Hey, guys. Love the show. Uh, listening for a few months now. And um, the other day, my 401k statement arrived in the mail uh, showing the notice, notice of investment returns and fee comparison. And uh, I am 47 years old. I have uh, a little over half a million in my 401k, and I maxed out my 401k and my Roth IRA, and I'm married. My wife maxed out her Roth IRA. And so the fund I'm in, I'm in a target date fund um, recommendation that I got years ago from Clark Howard. So I'm in the Americans Fund 2040 target date to retire. And I'm noticing that I have a $3.80 per 1,000 gross cost, so a 0.38% um, on, this, on this fund. I'm in this RFG, Robert, Frank, George, Tom, x-ray and it seems as though maybe there's limited funds here there's a lot of target funds and then there's um some small cap and large cap and and i'm wondering if my money isn't better spent in vanguard uh, maybe at the 500 index uh, admiral uh, vfiax uh, which is 0.04 or 40 cents per one thousand dollars gross um, you know, mixed with some small cap or something like this, um, um, or am I better off taking the match of my 401k 
uh, and only contributing that amount and having another 401k, I'm not sure if that's possible or not, through uh, one of the big three, Fidelity, Fidelity Vanguard or Charles, or Charles Schwab is where I have my, um, currently have my, um, my Roth, IRA, my Roth IRA. So curious to hear what your thoughts are on this. Thank you. Well, apparently your employer is working with a stockbroker, which is why they're using the American funds, which aren't terrible. They're not cheap. I mean, a 0.38 expense ratio for a target date fund and a target date fund, by the way, that's, that's our shares, which is institutional. It's pretty high when you look at a comparable Vanguard target date fund and find it's 20 basis points less, 0.14 or 24 basis points left, less, 0.14. Um, but you can't get your own 401k. You can't. You're, you're, you're stuck with, with this 401k, and you should probably take advantage of the match. I would put in – no, probably. You should take advantage of the mat, match. Put in as much as you can up to the match. And then over and above that, if you're eligible for an IRA or a Roth IRA, then do that next so that you can get into better target date funds at lower prices. And then maybe go back to your 401k if you want more tax deferred. But uh, you can't set up another 401k, so you're kind of stuck and you really want that match. That is absolutely 100%. Ain't no about it. Ain't no about to doubt it. It's Friday. It It's what happens on Friday. It's been a long week. Uh, thanks for, uh, thanks for your question. And remember, you can call us anytime at 855-935-TALK. Oh, program note, program note for those of you who've stuck around this long, uh, Saturday's show, I'm going it alone. So I need your company. If you have a question and you want to talk with me live, just me, then call me between 3 and 5 Eastern on Saturday at 855-935-TALK. I'll be doing the show alone because Tom fled to Mexico. And uh, you know, I hate to break it to him, but uh, we do have extradition treaties. You're coming back, dude. You're coming back. Kidding. He didn't do anything wrong. He's just going down to spend some time with his family for a few days. And uh, so I'll be doing the show alone. So call me on Saturdays, 3 to 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific at 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. And let's do one more that was sent into TalkingRealMoney.com. Hi, Tom and Don. Thank you for your amazing podcasts. I discovered you through your combination podcast with Paul Merriman. My first question is, have you guys continued to do those combo podcasts? The first two just popped up in my podcast listening playlist, but then I never saw them again. So if you did continue to do those with Paul, let me know where I can find those because I did really enjoy those shows. My second question is about I-bonds. I'm wondering if I should start moving money that we currently have in CDs into I-bonds as the CDs mature. My husband and I currently keep about $100,000 in laddered five-year CDs at $20,000 each. So what I'm wondering is, as those mature, if we should move them from CDs into I-bonds, $10,000 for my husband, $10,000 for myself each year. And then finally, I'm wondering what your thoughts are about I-bonds versus the 
EE bonds. Uh, I just saw those were also an option and wondered why you prefer I bonds to E bonds if you do. Thanks again for all of your wonderful information and great banter. And my holiday wish to you is that may all your podcasts be leaf blower free. Thank you again. Bye. <laughs> what a lovely wish. If if only it would come true, but it it won't. It won't. No, no. We're at least in some parts of the country, the leaf blowers end in winter. Not here. Not here. It's twelve months a year. <laughs> and yes, we do love doing those. We did love doing those joint podcasts with Paul too. Paul is. He's got so much going on that he had to opt out. Uh, he's got his foundation. He's got other podcasts that he does. He's writing. He's just, I mean, for an old guy, he's busy. But we'll we'll occasionally have him on, particularly if I take a vacation. If I take a vacation day, Tom will have him on with him on the show. So uh, we, we will have Paul on. Uh, as for the I-bonds from CDs, it uh, depends on what that CD ladder's for. If that was just a place that you're parking money and you don't need it, okay. But remember, it doesn't work. Those don't work like a CD. If you take the money out after a year, you can't take it out for the first year. You can't take money out of I-bonds for the first year, period. If you take it out after the first year, you're going to lose three months of interest. To not lose any interest, you have to hold them for five years. So they're kind of a different beast. I would, I think I would treat the pools of money differently. I might start taking a little from the CDs. Maybe you take, you know, 2500 each from a CD that rolls over of money that you're okay leaving for five or more years. Because, yeah, you're rolling it out. But remember, if you need it, you can't get at it. So uh, the other thing is, is that if inflation goes away, and it could, this could just be COVID-based inflation, then your interest rate will go to zero. That's the downside of I-bonds. Your interest rate will go to zero. That's not any money. And then you're losing money to whatever little bit of inflation might be left, even if you don't get it in in interest. It's just, I-bonds are a nice hedge. I'd have them in a portfolio as a hedge. I have some, my little $10,000 worth. Uh, but I would not change my whole portfolio just because, wow, we're looking at it right now and going, it's got a great yield. It hasn't had a great yield for over a decade. Just now. It's been a while. It's a hedge against inflation. That's the only purpose it should serve. As far as double E bonds, the old double E savings bonds, they're kind of tricky. Right now, they only pay one-tenth of 1% per year, about what a bank pays. However, there's a kicker with double E-bonds. If, if, if you hold them for the, for the full 20 years, you hold them for a full 20 years, they will give you double what you paid for them. So if you buy $10,000 worth of double E-bonds and you hold them until 20 41, they will give you $20,000 back, more than the interest you, 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 you have earned. They'll make it up. But you have to hold them for 20 years. Otherwise, you get 0.1%. 
that works out to 3.8% per year, which is not bad for total safety, but total safety with really no liquidity with that yield? Uh, maybe not that great. When you when a 20-year treasury is yielding about 2%. Um, so, again, there's no absolutes in this business. It's not bad to have a couple of, uh, you know, $10,000 worth of double E bonds in there just as a long-term interest-bearing security with a high degree of safety in the interim as long as you don't have to cash them out. Well, even then, you can still cash them out. You just won't get that high interest rate. So thank you. Thank you for your call. Thank you for all the questions. Thank you for being a part of Talking Real Money. Thank you for telling your friends, neighbors, relatives, everybody you know about Talking Real Money. It's the holiday season. It's a great, great time to set people straight when it comes to managing money. As the initial caller stated, you get together with a bunch of people and they're going to tell you something stupid about money. And when they do, send them to us. Got podcasts almost every day. As a matter of fact, we're doing podcasts literally every day until we get through the recently found archives. Also, Retire Meet 2022 is coming up. This will be a national event and a Seattle area local event at the Maidenbauer Center in Bellevue. So we'll do a both an in-person and an online event. You can sign up for it right now at retiremeet.com, retiremeet.com. I'm Don McDonald. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much for being just a great audience. We'll talk to you soon. you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future, so past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. And to keep the lawyers happy.